Welcome to the Dream Journal. From the studios of KSQD in Santa Cruz, the Dream Journal is a weekly show where we explore the power of nighttime dreams through conversations with dream experts and with you. Carl Jung, who looks outside dreams, who looks inside, awakens. Today's music is called The Fool's Apprentice, created fresh for you this morning by Rick Cluffel. It's April Fool's Day, and we'll be talking with Dreaming's biggest trickster, Robert Moss. Moss is a shamanic dreamer and author of at least 17 books. Today we will be talking about traveling without leaving home. I am your host, Catherine Bell of Experiential Dreamwork, and welcome to The Dream Journal. The Dream Journal is a weekly podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. But most importantly, tell your friends about the show. Mission of this show is to get people talking about dreams, and one way you could do that is to tell them about this podcast. Archives are also available at Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or you can go to the KSQD website, ksqd.org slash the dash dream dash journal. Okay, so, you know those dreams about uh, forgetting things? I had woke up this morning with a shock thinking that it was already one o'clock and I'd forgotten to do the show. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I was just hanging out at home. It's been almost a month since I've been in the studio. So it's good to be back here, but I just, you know, I don't know how much longer I can blame things on COVID brain. I think it's <laughs> uh, just having trouble keeping things organized here, but at least I made it to the show. So here I am. That was just one of those, I forgot my pants kind of dreams. <laughs> So hello to Robert Moss. Thanks for coming on the show. Happy April Fish, uh, Catherine. You know, in Jung's part of Germany, it's April Fish Day. April Fish kids, Day? Really? Yes, and kids would run around trying to pin the fish on each other's back. And <laughs> Jung wrote about this in, in his account of six fish episodes as an example of chain synchronicity, a riff of synchronicity in his famous essay on synchronicity. So since you mentioned Jung... I wish you happy April fish. Happy April fish to you too, Robert. (laughs) All right, let me introduce our guest here, a man who needs no introduction. Robert Moss has been a dream traveler since doctors pronounced him dead in a hospital in Tasmania when he was three years old. His school of active dreaming is a synthesis of modern dream work and ancient shamanic practices for journeying to realms beyond the physical. He leads adventures all over the world, including a three-year teacher training and popular online courses for the Shift Network. He is a New York Times best-selling novelist, poet, journalist, and independent scholar. His latest book is Growing Big Dreams, Manifesting Your Heart's Desires Through 12 Secrets of the Imagination, and you can find Robert Moss at mossdreams.com. So, Robert, you may not remember this, but I actually was attended one of your Esalen uh, retreats probably in the early early aughts. 
of 2000, and it was one of the formative experiences I had about almost 20 years ago that drove me toward dreaming. Do you remember giving those Esalen workshops? You must have gone. Well, gone I taught. Those. I taught. I taught. I do remember yes. Esalen. Of course, I taught there for more than 20 years ah. until I decided that was enough. I mean, one of the world's most beautiful locations, mm. of course. And we had some extraordinary experiences. I'm glad that it did so much for you because yep. we did have rich adventures. And I saw extraordinary transformation happen in those circles. Yes, absolutely. It was um, really a first uh, view into my my world of of the truth that dreams tell because they do tell the truth in some ways that, uh, that we're not really willing to face yet in waking life. Oh, well, that's one of the primary functions of dreams, whatever else we think might be going on. They do hold up a magic mirror to our actions and attitudes. They are a voice of conscience. They are a voice of the larger self. Uh, and it's very health- healthy to let our delusions of the day be corrected by our dreams of the night. I mean, that's what we want to learn to do. And I think it's one of the things that you're helping people to do. Great. Yeah, I, I love that. Well, I think I want to jump back in and talk a little bit about the beginning. I mean, that's pronounced dead at age three, and yet here you are. <laughs> well, let's let me give a little bit of a story, because, you Please. know, I live by stories, and yes. I help people to become much better storytellers and story makers. It's what I love best. So I'm three years old. My mother's living with the family, of course, on the east coast of Australia. Her family's on the west, West Australia wants to take me to meet her aunt, a famous opera singer, friend of Dame Nellie Melba, and a very good psychic medium, though she didn't make a fuss about it. So we go out to see Auntie Dick, as we called her. I'm three years old. Mm -hmm. She looks in the tea leaves the old-fashioned way, turns white, won't talk about it. (laughs) Only later does she reveal she saw me die. That winter in hospital, in a bitter winter, I mean, I was taken to hospital with pneumonia, and the doctors pronounced me clinically dead. They Mm -hmm. came back and said, oh, your boy died and he came back, didn't he? With some embarrassment when I came back. So my aunt, the psychic opera singer, had seen it. She didn't see me coming back. She saw me die. And that really introduces the story. It happened again when I was nine years old. And at that point, I found someone to talk to. It was very hard to talk about dreams in a conservative era in a military family in Australia. But an Aboriginal kid was willing to talk about dreams. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to understand what I was saying when I told him age nine how under an emergency, under the surgeon's knife in an operating room with an emergency appendectomy, how I'd gone and lived a whole life somewhere else with a different kind of people. He wasn't awed. He didn't say, wow, that's powerful or something. He said, oh, yeah, we do that. We get sick. (laughs) We go live with the spirits. And when we get well, we come back. Sometimes we are the same. Sometimes we are not. So the gift of these childhood experiences, we didn't call them NDEs, we didn't have Raymond Moody's vocabulary, and I still don't think that fully applies to what happened to me. I think I died and came back. There's a Tibetan word for that, delog. It means one who died and come, came back. That's what happened to me. I died and came back. It means that for me, all my life, I've known there are worlds beyond the physical, not as a matter of belief, but as a matter of travel, a matter of experience. It's not exotic for me to talk to the departed. I've been doing that all my life, to talk to the ancestors. It's not strange for me to think that we can enter the dream time at will, whether you call it lucid dreaming or something else. That's not necessarily the best description for it, but that you can enter the dream roads at will and do something useful and come back. I've known that since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I've done different things in my surface life. In midlife, I was claimed again by the dream and eventually decided I'd do something for which there was no name and no career track in our culture. I'd become a dream teacher. Yes, so lots of people who specialize in dreams. You you call them experts. We can call them different things. But Catherine, Mm -hmm. in North America where we are talking, 
The primary word we translate as shaman or healer is dreamer. In Native oh. American languages, <laughs> that is the word for the shaman or the healer. Radzezots in Mohawk. I had to learn the language of the Kanyankahaka on Mohawk because of my dreams. In Mohawk, it's Radzezots, the dreamer. The dreamer is the shaman, is the healer. It's also used for doctor. Hmm. Oh, wow. I never knew that connection. So so there is something. I mean, you are really uh, answering some questions of mine because I, I have heard folks like this. I know the Tibetans have a dream yoga practice where uh, becoming lucid in a dream is practice for becoming lucid after death. And so that it kind of implies that they're the same kind of a world or or at least we have the same skills that one will apply from one to the other. Are they literally, I mean, in your view, are they literally the, the same world or are they just... Well, they're very, they're very similar. Yeah. I'll put it to you as strongly as this. Dreaming, as we practice it, is the best preparation for dying. Mm. I mean, Plato said all of philosophy is preparation for dying. I would say that dreaming is a part of philosophy. Philosophy means love of Sophia, love of wisdom. It's the aspect of philosophy, the, pre the technique, the philosophic technique that best equips you. The Lakota say the path of the soul after death is the same as the path of the soul in dreams. I will say to you that once you learn you travel in dreams to worlds beyond the physical, including places where you might live after physical death and places where the so-called dead are alive, you'll realize, first of all, you're confirming for yourself that consciousness or soul survives, survives the death of the physical body because you're traveling in the realms where it will live. And you might find when you travel on that the places that you have the ability to live in, to study in, to rehab in, beyond death are places you know already. Dion Fortune, the great priestess of the Western Mysteries, said the same thing in one of her books. She said, you're going to find when you die that you know a lot of the places because you've dreamed your way there. Ah. Seth, the <laughs> Seth material. Mm. Seth is full of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Seth is a great teacher on this stuff. Pay attention to location, location, location in your dreams, to paraphrase Seth, the channel by Jane Roberts, because you'll find that these places are ones you might be living in when you've given up this physical ah, life. So you don't have to stick with Tibet or any of the other people or traditions we're talking about. This is actually and should be universal knowledge uh, amongst anybody who has any real spiritual practice worth following, because what is more important? than confirming for yourself that life goes on after death and that something is going on before you come here, that it's part of a greater story. Dreaming as we're talking about it is a way for you to know these things firsthand. And Catherine, they're too important to take these things on trust through hand-me-down beliefs. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we can experience them in, in our dreams. I mean, I'm thinking that I might be going to Burning Man when I die. One of my main <laughs> recurring themes is about going to Burning Man. Or at least there's some place like that that maybe that's where I'm going to go. And there's also a mountain range and um, all these other familiar recurring landscapes that I visit in my dreams. And you're saying that these are probably real places and places that I, um, I will one day be going. Well, William Blake said with poetic clarity that when you die, you enter the imagination. That's where you go. You enter the imagination. That's another way of saying it, which I applaud, because the realm you're going to be in will be, will be built. It will be constructed by, by your memory and your imagination. And how far you can go will depend on your courage and your imagination or lack thereof. So you talk about Burning Man or this or that. Well, those might be models mm. for what you're going to inhabit. You're not going to go to Burning Man right. in a physical sense. <laughs> but if you really love that kind of scene, mm -hmm. you might find yourself living for a time with some 
replica of it, some simulacrum shared with other people who like that kind of scene. But the geography of the imaginal realm, which has, is closely connected to the geography of the afterlife or interlife, the imaginal realm, that's a wonderful term, mm -hmm. the realm of true imagination, is vast. It's vast. The architecture is far more varied than what's available in the physical world. The geography is far more complex and interesting. As a people of the South Pacific, of the island of Puka Puka, who I have read, I haven't interviewed them personally, but I've read that they say there are as many afterlife situations as there are human imaginations. That's a very nice thought. We must add to it the fact that because lots of people don't have much imagination, they're likely to be marching like tour groups following <laughs> the sock or the banner, you know, to a, to a location declared to be desirable by the tour leader. So they'll be in what Bob Munro used to call the collective belief systems. And I've seen all this. I mean, I've seen all the life, not all of it. I've seen some of it. I've seen enough of it to, to, to tell you that what I'm saying so far is not belief. It's observation. Well, tell me a little bit more about imagination. We're talking about the imaginal realm, and that's one thing I remember from your workshops. I've been to a few of them now. Um, that there was uh, that there is like a guided a kind of imagination, uh, guided to the to the degree of helping us relax and get too uh, available to that kind of open that door, um, and then it, and then it's up to us, and we get to tour our imagination. So tell me about about imagination and how that connects with dreaming. Well, I mean, they're closely related, aren't they? I mean, yeah. as, as you discussed, dreaming, night dreaming, you are often, I gather, talking about spontaneous sleep dreams, which I value highly, which I value highly. I think that the dreams we don't ask for and may not want give us all sorts of guidance, including uh, performing that magic mirror function we talked about earlier on. When you talk imagination, you're talking, you're implying probably, or maybe saying directly that you are going to harness a great faculty of soul, that's how it has been described. Uh, Coleridge mm. called it a great faculty of soul, the great imagination. Uh, to do what? To construct everything. And then when you think about it, everything around us in this world that's been constructed by human hands is the product of imagination in a technical sense. There's an idea, there's an image, there's a plan, there's a blueprint, uh, there's a model. And from that, the physical building or, the, or construction is made. Uh, when you talk about realms beyond the physical, which nonetheless have their own durability and their own solidity and their own structures, um, we, can, we can think about in, in a con reality construction in a subtler order of, of reality, which is nonetheless also real. I lead people as adventures. You might have done something like this with me at Esalen. Mm -hmm. I lead them to structures, to structured environments in the imaginal realm beyond the physical. Typically, we use shamanic drumming to fuel and focus the journey mm -hmm. where they can do all sorts of interesting things, enter a kind of total library where they can get information or inspiration on any subject, meet a master teacher. Uh, mm. go to uh, the, the production studio where dreams are made that are going to be screened in the night, your personal dream production studio, things like that. Go to a house of time where you can investigate your direct connection with other life experiences that from a certain point of view are going on now. All within an architecture, an imaginal architecture, uh, grown by the adventures, the voyages of successive groups of dreamers and added to each time somebody visits one of these places. It's a very cool thing to learn to do. What's it got to do with dreaming? Well, it depends what you think dreaming is. For me, dreaming is describes a spectrum of experience beyond the physical and yet also not excluding the physical because for me, dreaming also includes living by synchronicity, watching the dreamlike signs and symbols of the world around you mm. and operating that way. For me, it's a seamless web. 
Synchronicities, yes. Say, say more about synchronicities and how that ties in with this web of yours. Well, synchronicity is when the universe, get, the universe gets personal. I mean, Jung invented the word because he was fed up with the fact we don't know how to talk about meaningful coincidence, and we don't. I made up another word, chiromancy, K-A-I-R-O-mancy. Chiromancy is the practice of synchronicity. The chiromancer gets really good at noticing those special moments, those kairos moments. Kairos is the Greek god of jump time, opportunity time quick time when you've got to do something because things are changing and time is working differently. So the chiromancer gets good at noticing those moments when time seems to freeze or expand or work in a different way. Jung said once, only once as far as I can track it, an interview with Nersha Eliadi, the great Romanian uh, philosopher and, uh, uh, and anthropologist and historian of religion, Jung said, synchronicity, briefly, a rupture in time. Mm. A rupture in time. That's mm -hmm. another way of looking at it. Uh, so it's when, let's compare it to dreaming for a moment. Dreaming might be what happens when you go beyond the veils of ordinary perception, you get out there, you meet things beyond your ordinary understanding. You might travel to places far beyond your ordinary world. So you get out there in dreaming. Through synchronicity, the powers of the deeper reality come pushing or poking or tickling through the veils of ordinary perception to do what? To bring you alive, to bring you awake, to push you back, to give you a secret handshake, to give you the nod or the wink of approval, secret handshake from the universe, it might seem. And, you know, simply learning to walk in this world with your eyes wide open and all of your senses more aquiver with life and alertness than normal is a way of dreaming too. Uh -huh. That's dreaming in the body with all of your senses and recognizing that the conscious animate universe around you is dreaming too. Oh, so Robert, I wonder if you could give us an example of a, of a synchronicity, maybe a recent one that you have found meaningful. Like I love the sense of aliveness, and, and uh, but I'm wondering how it applies in the day-to-day -day life. Like we have these these big moments, but... What about the day-to-day? -day? You have that book, Sidewalk Oracles, which I, I love so much, which talks about just the little synchronicities along the way. And I wonder if you could give us an example of one of those. Well, I'll give you a little one. I mean, there are lots. My, my life contains lots of big ones, as you know. But right. let me give a little one which any almost anyone can identify with. So uh, one way of approaching the world, if you want guidance from synchronicity, is to carry a theme or question in your mind and see what the world says in response. Well, I did that informally on the morning I was walking my little dog to the neighborhood park. I was thinking about an issue in my life. The issue was, could I really handle two projects uh, coming up in the next fall, which might be held to be mutually competitive and both of which were going to require a lot of time and energy. So that's on my mind. I haven't said I'd like guidance on the issue, but I'm thinking about the question, can I handle the two projects? Big guy I don't know gets out of a big truck with a big box on his shoulder. He looks down at me. He looks at my 20-pound, very small dog. And he says gruffly, well, he can't kill both of us at the same time, can he? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what the heck? What is this? And I'm, for once, I'm almost speechless. I mean, I totter on up the street thinking, what just happened? I think, oh, wow. He just told me I can't handle the two projects at once. Um, I mean, I can't kill them in the sense of execute them at the same time. <laughs> but it gets better. Now I'm thinking, okay, I got my guidance from the universe. I got the message. The kledon, the Greeks would call it, K-L-E-D-O-N, the words or speech or noise coming out of hubbub or silence. 
But now I have a means of conveying my decision. I have to call someone who's going to be very disappointed with me and probably feel that I am, you know, faulting on an agreement. I call him up with great reluctance. There's silence on the end of the line. He said, we had an agreement, Robert. Mm. And I say, but I got the message <laughs> from the man who said, you can't kill both. He can't kill both of us at once. And the guy on the phone starts laughing. He says, you got me. You and the synchronicity <laughs> stuff. You got me. I'd have to make the same decision. So we had laughter, we had resolution, we only, only had guidance. I had a human, humorous, happy way to convey the decision and, and, and bring everything through in a way that you know had resulted in no hard feelings. So that's an example of the world giving you a message on a theme that is on your mind. And I think it's actually going to go on all the time if you're open for it. But the problem is most of us are going around in headphone land or stuck in some groove or stuck in some rut, not alert and available to those moments of absolute free spontaneous intervention you sometimes feel you feel the hidden hand that synchronicity can give us right right wow it feels like uh, uh even more than mindfulness it's kind, of, it's kind of a sense of meaningfulness like looking for meaningfulness in every moment yeah that's not a bad way of saying it uh. you know you can't be too serious about these things you've been touting me as a big trickster and so on <laughs> i don't know whether that's true or not but i will say this catherine I, I discriminate in life between those who have a sense of humor and those who don't. Uh, and if you're going to go around very solemnly speaking in, in terms of spiritual correctness all the time, you're never going to get really good at this. And the great spiritual masters actually are not masters of spiritual correctness. Uh, they're playful. Uh, yes, I love that. And dreams themselves are so incredibly playful. Like my dream this morning, I don't know if you heard my dream I share. I did hear. Yeah. <laughs> about totally forgetting about the show. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> well, let me give let me give you a story about dreaming and writing and publishing and, and the trickster. May I do that? Yeah, please. So when I was writing Conscious Dreaming, which is the first of my book on all of this, by the way, I've published 26 books the conventional 26. way so far. Well, not that many. I was told in a, in, in, a, in a visionary experience many years ago, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to publish 64 in this lifetime. Oh, you yeah. know what? I'm not getting younger, and I doubt <laughs> I'm going to do it. So you really made me worry when you said I'd publish 74. It is actually 26. 26. Anyway, right. so I'm writing, I'm writing Conscious Dreaming. <laughs> Uh, the book publishes Conscious Streaming. And I have an agent in those days, and I'm, I'm coming out of a very successful career writing different kinds of books. But nonetheless, I mean, uh, it's something new. I've gone out in the wilderness. I haven't asked for a contract this time. I'm just going to do it. And I set an intention for guidance on writing the book that is published as Conscious Streaming. The guidance is I'd like to help on reaching as many people as possible and, and opening them to the gifts of dreaming. And I dream that I'm in a kind of three-ring circus, and there's this really, really loose, uh, sketchy character wearing a loud check suit with a funny hat on his head, smoking a big cigar, big moustache. He's doing ridiculous acrobatics, bouncing up, bouncing up to the top of the tent. And now lucid inside the dream, I'm thinking, I asked for guidance. This is supposed to be my guide. And I know his name. His name's Morty, said with a New York accent. <laughs> He's bouncing up and down, and then he bounces into the bleachers. He grabs an attractive woman in the second or third row and he's smooching with her, puffing his cigar. And I'm looking at him with absolute incredulity. This is my guide. <laughs> and he leers and he winks, horrible wink. And he says, it's about entertainment, kid. It's about entertainment. Uh -huh. And I woke up laughing and I thought, I got the guide that I needed. I got the guidance I needed. I was shocked as the dream began to unfold by what I was receiving. That is exactly what I needed. I needed the trickster figure 
this trickster figure, this New York Marty, I'm publishing in New York, remember, yes. to tell me it's about entertainment, keep people turning the pages, tell really good stories. So that is what I needed at that time. And that's an example of how, you know, one of the things going on in dreaming is that our sources of guidance draw from a cosmic costume department, dressing themselves up in the faces, the clothes, the rigs, the styles that will speak to us, to shock us awake, to allow, to make us laugh ourselves awake, to, to bring us along. I love that. Wow, there is you got you may not uh, think of yourself as a trickster, but you certainly have trickster inside of you. Well, the trickster is essential in life if mm -hmm. the trickster is what keeps you changing and gets you off the monomaniacal path of what you think is right and necessary. As long as you are wedded to one track, not willing to turn with the changes, not willing to be spontaneous and improvise, the trickster is your devil actually. So to the extent that I'm in favor of helping people to be spontaneous, to help them come up with fresh words, fresh choices, yes, I'm an ally of the trickster, or the trickster is an ally of mine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you talked about um, telling your own story, that one of the things that you do is to help people tell their stories. And I, I imagine it's really important to bring humor into that. We often can get really serious about our stories and what what is life for us, but bringing in a sense of humor seems like it would be incredibly valuable. When I was giving a lecture on all of this, I don't know, 30 years ago now, somebody said in the very large auditorium, bottom line it for me, what is this all about? <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, uh, remember to play. Ah. And he said, he starts writing it down very earnestly and said, <laughs> I don't think you've got it. It's about remember to play. Uh, it is about remembering to play because we do our best work in a spirit of play. And I will say to people, I mean, I did creative writing retreats and, and, and uh, art and music and other theater and so on, all feature. And, you know, I want people to play. And as they play, you do something that the Inuit put very well. This is an Inuit saying. Uh, we must entertain the spirits. We must entertain the spirits. One of the ways we entertain the spirits, Catherine, according to the Inuit tradition, is we come up with fresh words. We come up with fresh words. We mm -hmm. can't just use the old formulas, the old rituals, the old vocabulary. It has to be, has to be fresh in you or else our spirits, our creative spirits, get bored with us. And that makes life awfully dull and sad. Hmm. Yeah, we don't want that, that's for sure. No dull and sad life for me, please. So I'm going to take a short break. This, my guest here is the fabulous Robert Moss. Uh, so glad to have you on the show. And we will be back in a moment. This is the Dream Journal, uh, broadcast live from KSQD and co-broadcast in San Jose at KCXU. We'll be right back. Okay, we are here with Robert Moss, and I want to say that we have in the studio 
uh, Stephen Pop, who is like has a dream that he would like to share. So, Robert, are you game for that? Want to hear? Uh, Abs- absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes. It's a, a pleasure. Uh, good morning, Robert. Good morning, Catherine. What is Stephen? What have you got for us? Well, this is a dream I had a few nights ago, and it was, you know, out of the ordinary for me in uh, the level of clarity uh, that I was experiencing. But in this dream, I'm out for a walk, and I come upon uh, a space that's uh, like a large. Um, field about the size of a football field and it's surrounded by trees and lined up at the end where I'm approaching is a line of horses and about 10 feet behind the horses is a line of humans and at the far end of this line is my father who passed away in 2005 and he's waving at me and he's saying Stephen Stephen the next horse the next horse it's yours mm. it's yours come come up here and and mm. you know claim this horse so i'm i'm not a horse rider <clears throat> and in fact most of my experiences with horses as a child was to be swept off by a tree limb <laughs> or bitten or rolled over on that sort of thing and I, I love horses though all the same i just don't ride them so i walk up uh to the uh end of the line where my father's standing in this very large individual very very gruff looking fellow with a long blonde hair and a ponytail and a big cowboy hat and a vest comes walking over and says okay who wants the next horse and of course we all raise our hands and he looks me straight in the eye and he says it's yours it's yours and uh its name is rain and i'm like oh okay i don't know any rains but um he pulls me up or leads me up and uh it, this this horse is actually not a full-size horse it's more like a pony mm. and he is showing me how to put the saddle on and getting it all all the tack and harness in place until finally it's time to you know get up on this this horse with a, a, a bit of trepidation on my part and mm. it he says okay here you go and the thing just kind of barely walks at a slow pace. It's not mm. racing along. And we end up going up into the trees. And I'm surrounded by pine trees, fairly open but beautiful forest. And all of a sudden, this uh, horse turns its head around to me and starts licking me. Now, it's no longer a horse, though. It's a deer. Uh, hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is this is not good. I shouldn't be riding a deer. Um, so I, I climb off and I take the saddle off, and the deer just wanders off into the woods, and I'm standing there, looking around. Hmm. What a wonderful narration, Stephen. Thank you. What's the title of the story? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve's Stephen's experience with Dad and and the horses. Hmm. Okay. All right. That'll do. Now, what? A few questions. Sure. What are your first feelings coming out of this excursion? What are your first feelings as you leave the dream? Well, as I leave the dream, I'm yes. feeling fairly peaceful, fairly. Yes. And it's it's yeah. interesting to me that I'm not more interested in why was my father there. Um, uh-huh. Okay. That seemed right. rather natural to me and not right. unnatural. Okay. So your father's deceased. You told us that. You mm-hmm. wouldn't normally get on horseback, but you don't dislike horses. Right. Any relationship with the deer? Is the deer important in your life in any way? The life of your imagination in any way? Um, you know, I have had dreams uh, about uh, deer and in particular uh, half man, half deer mm-hmm. 
uh, yep. individuals, the the Hearn yep. figure, that sort of thing. Right. And okay. um, other than that, they eat my garden. Uh-huh. <laughs> what about the location, the field, the size of football field? Could you find yourself at this place or a place like it in the future? Is that possible? Yeah, very, very possible. It is. Okay. So what do you most want to know? Where's your curiosity now? Well, I think my curiosity is that I, I have been uh, on uh, a path, on a journey myself, and uh, it's it's manifesting itself in dreams now for me, mostly from uh, listening to the show and, and meeting Catherine. But um, I, I am at a point, too, where I'm making some decisions in my life. I need to right. make some big changes. Right. So. Well, I have a number of immediate associations, if it were my dream. First mm. of all, I want to use it as a window to talk to my father. Uh, mm-hmm. whether or not that was a strong concern mm-hmm. at the end of the dream. I know that if I, well, let me put it this way, if I have reasons to have a conversation with Dad, mm-hmm. this dream is a portal. I can step back inside and put myself back in that field and mm-hmm. talk to him. Nice. I know he's available. Secondly, the horse to me is the wind horse of spirit. Wind uh, horse of spirit. Okay. You can track that word yeah, in several traditions. Horse, but, yeah. but, when I, but when I guide people on shamanic lucid dreaming adventures i often have them meet up with a horse or how they feel about horses we're talking about a conscious journey now with shamanic drumming in the workshops they're going to ride the horse and it's going to take them to a house of gifts where they will meet multiple aspects of themselves that have not been fully in their body Mm -hmm. so i have all sorts of positive associations with the horse uh, both for the raw energy the horse power Mm -hmm. and as the wind horse of spirit which can take me uh, to the place of my spiritual uh, uh, completion. And mm. that begins to unfold when the horse turns into the deer. You know, Stephen, Merlin rides back from from here, from Deer Mountain. The <laughs> Scottish Merlin rides back from Deer Mountain on an antlered stag. Wow. That's how Merlin rides back <laughs> wow. into the world of humans. Wow. So it's not wow. just Hearn and, and, yeah, yeah. Sure. and all of that. It's also Merlin. Uh, and the the reason the antlers are so important symbolically cross-culturally is they represent connection to the spirit world because they rise beyond the physical head uh, and they also represent the power of regeneration that's why the royana uh the good man who is a traditional chief of the iroquoian confederacy wears the living bones as the antlers mm. are called so without without making a lecture about that that we could spend three hours on it oh, uh, when the horse <laughs> within the horse's spirit becomes the deer i'm on my spiritual path and i'm now elated so my plan is going to be to honor this dream in certain ways i like to draw from my dream so i would mm, definitely mm-hmm, make mm-hmm. at least one drawing and i'd color it in and i get my paints or crayons out mm-hmm. i'd also like to consider trying to re-enter the dream this is one of my core techniques in our active dreaming approach that we can use a portal a dream or personal image as a portal if it's got energy to go back into that scene and go on with it, not leave it where it finished, ride on with the deer, Uh. talk to dad, whatever else. I might have a list of things I'd like to do. But dreams require action. So is there some action you will take to honor and celebrate what you brought to us. What are you going to do? Well, you know, I, the the drawing part uh, springs to mind right away, as I did with uh, one of my previous dreams. And um, I'm not the most artistic, but I can get a good rendering of it. And uh, I also want to try to look for that place in the physical world uh, close by that is associated excellent. with the dream. Mm. Excellent, excellent. It's good. Oh, it's very good to have physical action plans to embody the energy of the dream. And finally, for temporary closure, mm. one thing I like to do is I like to come up with a slogan, a bumper sticker, a mantra, a banner, a phrase that 
holds and carries forward some energy or insight from the dream. Can you come up with a phrase of that kind? Wow. Um, Dad made it safe. The horse didn't bite me and uh, I got back uh, fine. <laughs> well, that's a bit of a mouthful, but it certainly yeah. got the right, it certainly got the right forward moving energy. And I congratulate you, Stephen, oh, for telling you. your stories so well. Oh, I'm a great, I greatly you. appreciate people who can carry uh, their stories. And uh, one of the things, Catherine, you know this, one of the things that comes through with this kind of approaches, we all learn to tell our stories better. We not only develop the patience to listen to each other more deeply, but we develop the skill to say what we're going to say so well that people are eager to hear it. Yes. Doesn't just require patience. Yes, yes, exactly. Love that. Well, if we're you. going to become a dreaming society, we must learn to tell our dreams so other people want to hear them. Absolutely. And uh, many of us have not developed that gift. I we agree. That's wonderful. Thank so Stephen so has it. He's a natural. He's a natural. Well, that's why I'm natural on Natural dream narrator. <laughs> Thank you so much for your observations. I, I appreciate it. And I think I'll be going back to that place soon. Great. Great. Thank you so much, Stephen. Excellent. So good to have you on the show. Thanks again. That was good. All right. So, Robert, we have another caller, Elizabeth from Bellingham. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Hi, Elizabeth. I've been to Bellingham. I actually spoke at a bookshop in Bellingham some years ago. Uh, That would be Village Books. You are correct. (laughs) Hello. I feel like I know you somehow. This is lovely. Thank you. Um, I'm a shamanic practitioner with a great imagination, and my dreams have been unbelievable. Like, Catherine and I are working together, and I give her, like, you know, ten dreams every time we talk. Mm-hmm. But recently, I haven't been able to remember any of my dreams. Uh-huh. So this is my question, Robert. Right. Um, yeah, what can I do? I, I need my dreams back, and, and I just wondered if there might be some information I need to kind of stimulate that Well, Elizabeth, I'm going to give you a few personal responses. Uh, I'm not entirely unfamiliar with this situation. I noticed that one reason that my my dream faucet goes dry occasionally is I'm not doing enough with the material I've already received. I mean, you talk about sharing 10 dreams. That's a lot of material. Our dreams require action, let me say it again. I'm given all sorts of material in my dreams that I think my dream producers, my dream sources, want me to do something with, to apply it in some way, to create from it, uh, certainly to tell it to other people. But beyond that, more than that, and sometimes I notice when things have gone dry a, a bit for a while, I haven't done enough with all the material I've received. Mm. What am I going to do with that? For me as a writer and as, a, as an artist who doesn't overvalue his artistic ability, I can always write and draw and paint from it. That's something. There might be other things I can do. I might need to do some research. I love researching my dreams. So lack of action, lack of doing things to honor the dreams and act upon them is one reason in my experience for this kind of interruption. Uh, While I'm being interrupted, while I'm on pause, here's something I can do right now, Elizabeth. I can practice synchronicity. We're talking about it earlier. Let me treat the world around me as my field of dreams. Let me pay close attention to the signs and symbols popping up. Let me go out into the world for 20 minutes of otherwise unscheduled time and collect three observations using any and all of my senses and make a dream story out of them. It's amazing how when we start playing with synchronicity in that way, the dreams come back. And then finally, for now, you know, I say I'm going through a dream guide and not getting anything. Is it actually literally true? Or is there maybe 
just a scrap of something, just the tiniest little fragment. Because I, like an absolute beginner who hasn't been attending to dreams or recording them, can do a lot with the smallest, skimpiest little piece of a dream, just a wisp, just a breadcrumb. So let me, before I say to myself in the morning, I don't have anything, let me pay attention to that. And speaking of in the morning, we haven't talked about this. Not enough talk about this goes on in dream forums. You know, dreaming isn't just about what happens during sleep and it's not just about monitoring synchronicity. The most fertile period of dreaming for me all of my life has been the in-between state between sleep and awake, hypnagogic state. And that's where you can become a conscious lucid dreamer effortlessly. That's where you can practice an everyday yoga of consciousness without funny words and mantras. So when I'm awake in the middle of the night or when I'm drifting after waking up in the morning or when I'm not yet asleep but drifting, I'm going to pay attention to what becomes available in those drifty, drifty spaces. I mean, so these are some ways to approach it. Okay. I'm going to keep my Wonder sense of... Is that, is that helpful? Yes, and what was that term you used? It was some kind of a Greek word about this. Hip, well, hip, hip, hypnagogia is the sleep researcher's word for what goes on, you know, between sleep and awake in that twilight zone. I actually like the way that Tinkerbell talks about it. Remember Tinkerbell from Peter Pan? Uh. When, when, Peter pa when Tinkerbell's going away and Peter's sad, in one of the movies, it's the movie Hook, actually, so this is Hollywood scriptwriters rather than J.M. Barry. When Tinker's going away and Peter's sad, Tink the fairy says to Peter, look for me in the place between sleep and awake. There I will wait for you. There you will always find me. So it's about the place between sleep and awake. I write quite a lot about this in my books, and I give people a lot of suggestions about doing more in that space because so much becomes available. It's actually a time a zone in which our psychic and creative, sol creative solving uh, abilities are at their max. Well, I knew I always loved her for some reason, and you just said it. <laughs> you have great taste and discernment. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. And I do have those experiences. And um, I had a little fragments and everything, so I'll go with that. Well, there we go. Good. I mean, that's one of the things that I was like expecting the dreams that we do have. A lot of times I'll say, well, I don't have any dreams. Well, except for dot, dot, dot. And there's the dream. Okay. And even if it's just as a fragment, sometimes I think the fragments touch into really deep places of things that I'm not quite ready to let in, but they're but I'm just starting to glimpse. So sometimes those fragments can be really powerful. Wow, that's that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I I'll just tell one more thing. I did dream about a blue horse that huh. was nibbling my palm on my hand. Oh my goodness! And I was loving that one so much. Oh do oh do go and look again at Chagall's blue horses. Chagall painted so many wonderful blue horses. I've dreamed of blue horses too. But do give yourself give yourself a treat, whether you know them or not. Go and find Chagall's blue horses. You won't regret. Oh, Chagall's, of course. I love his period. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. You yes. make my day. <laughs> Great. Thanks. I love you. Bye. Thanks, Elizabeth. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Yeah. Blue Horse. So you were talking about researching your dreams. Is that part of what that would be like to look up Chagall's Blue Horses? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, uh, Jung, Jung said in, in par paraphrase, but it's pretty close that he, he has all sorts of great ideas all day long, but that he takes up in his work only what his dreams give him, which implies a great deal of research. I'm the same, except I've had 
I'd, I'd add synchronicity. I take up in my work what dreams that synchronicity gives me. I mean, I started out as a junior professor of ancient history. I was an investigative journalist. I love research. I love research. Mm. And of course, I'm a bibliophile surrounded by books. Uh, we've got the internet as well now and Google and so on. So I am forever spending significant amounts of time researching things. So I love it when my dreams, for example, give me a phrase uh, in a language that I don't know or know only very slightly that's already. I'm often running. I'm often running to get more. And uh, also because I'm given so many specific clues and leads, they take me into mythology, into history, into different disciplines, into different uh, academic specialities, into different spiritual practices, into different cultural traditions. I mean, I love the research that my dreams inspire and, and spend a great deal of time on it. In fact, it might orient, you know, since I am an independent scholar who's had that luxury for a long time, it might orient the whole day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about the synchronicity of that siren we just heard going by. Just this something about a, a, a connection alarm, like a sense to wake up. And I had never thought so much about synchronicities that way, of an opportunity to to wake up. And so... You know, here was really an alarm going by, just as you're talking about research, um, James. Are you talking about a siren at my end or yeah, at yours? Yeah, it seemed to be at your end. Ah, well, we've moved to a wonderful apartment on the ninth floor with a wonderful view of a park. However, it's on the road to hospital. So, <laughs> so we have to be careful what we take seriously. If I took sirens too seriously, <laughs> I'd be jumping up and down all day long because the downside of living yeah. in a city on a road to hospital, which is just, you know, a few blocks away, is sirens. So uh, that's so that also brings in the question of discernment. You know, as you look for signs and symbols, you don't want to get nutty like that old taxi driver, you know, character that you know, cons- conspiracy nut. You don't want to turn into some kind of conspiracy nut who's seeing significance excessively okay. where there's no where there's no point in looking for it. So you are right, you're on the track in the right way. But right. since I know where I am in well, terms of my so situation. It's not a synchronous- so it's not a synchronicity for you, but it might be for me. Exactly. Exactly. That's I was going to come full circle. <laughs> it might still be exactly what you say it is for you. Yeah, but exactly. if I was if I were to take yes. it too seriously, I would be in serious trouble. Well, I'm taking it as as a wake up call because I I, I heard that sound and I'm like, oh, cool. Yes. So we do have another caller. We have a uh, Beth Ann from the Central Valley. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, uh, and it's a pleasure to listen to you, Robert. Um, I have a, a question about, uh, you, you were talking earlier about humor and playfulness and taking action on dreams. And I've got some uh, dream material that I have a lot of challenge finding humor with. It's very, very dark and threatening. And I'm wondering if you can give me some direction on how to get to the humor on things like being uh, hunted by an assassin or right. someone um, murdering a child in front of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I'm, I mean, I've done a lot of choice stuff. You sound, as if you're, you sound as if you're announcing the bill of fare on a streaming TV, <laughs> a TV network, actually. <laughs> kind of stuff is going on all the time. How's your relation with the dream animals, Beth Ann? Do you have any animal connections? Oh, yeah. Uh, deer, interestingly enough, um, a little bit of horse horse dreaming um, that was very significant at one point, but it was kind of that episode, and that was that was it. Um, and then, and synchronicity around deer in particular, I had some deer show up actually literally in the headlights when I was trying to make a decision 
about right. whether or not to do something where right. they where the deer happen to be. Right. So deer deer is significant, um, right. and um, the felines. You know, cheetah. I was hope, I was uh, hoping you're good. I was hoping to bring in the, the cats the big cats i have i have a well i have a very strong affection for the whole feline family amongst others and they're very good protectors and psychic boundary guardians and if you're finding yourself okay. in that kind of territory it is tremendously helpful helpful to have working relations with the animal guardians particularly those okay. who can act as bodyguards and boundary protectors and certainly the felines are particularly well equipped to do that so yeah. i would cherish my relationship with them make sure that i'm feeding that connection in my body and my life actually call them in imagine myself having my own posse of protectors and bodyguards and i'd also think about and you gave us some some uh, really cheerful titles there but i'd really think bethann about what's going on here what is calling me to these situations why am i visiting these mm -hmm. places because there are bad neighborhoods in the dream worlds, just as there are in regular life. Is there some reason yeah. I've been called to this situation? Does it in some way connect to someone or some people or some possibility, you know, involving my life, my family, my community or not? Or am I just being called into it because I've been out wandering in perhaps some rather random way or maybe because someone unknown to me is calling for help? I don't know. But if I find myself ending up again and again traveling to places that I don't like in the dream world, I'm going to try to influence the choices I'm making in my dreams, you see. I'm going to say to myself, I really don't want to be visiting these situations unless I can do some good. I don't want to be seeing this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I, and if someone is pursuing me, well, that's a different matter. That might call for psychic alert, for a little bit of fundamental common sense psychic protection. And on that front, your cat friends can help you immensely. Mm. Wonderful. Thank Wonderful. You. Thank you. And and so much synchronicity there <laughs> as well. I, I currently am living with six cats, four of whom ah. we uh, w encountered, in, you know, when they were little tiny kittens and had been abandoned. Mm. So it right. sounds very, very on target. Thank wow. you. Uh, Beth, Beth, very, Beth, very Beth, Beth, and go over to my blog, the Robert Moss blog. You can find it via uh -huh. my website or just the Robert Moss blog. There's a recent article. In fact, it's from, I think, from a day ago called Feeding Tiger, Meeting Puma. And it's got, okay. and, it's, and you go a bit further down. There are a couple of blogs about connections with the cats, the big cats, the small cats, the feline family. You might enjoy those. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Bethann. So, Thanks so much. So glad you called. So the Robert Moss and the webpage is mossdreams.com. Shall yeah. I tell you a, a, a quick story involving uh, dreams and synchronicity and big cats? Perfectly. One wonderful way to say goodbye to our listeners. So I'm in my bedroom one night and I have the sense of a presence and I see a sort of electrical grid kind of deal. And I realize it's a jaguar, which is interesting because I like the big cats, but the jaguar I'd never felt was a particular ally of mine. I feel it's a visitor. And the invitation is come. I'm awake. I'm awake and I'm picking, picking up energy movements. The invitation comes to go on a trip, to go on a lucid dream journey. So I fly with the Jaguar, which now takes on a more substantial form, to Belize. I know we're in Belize, and I meet a Mayan shaman. This is a lucid dream lasting about four hours of ordinary time. He teaches me his songs of his songs of, of power. He, he shows me how he does things. He shows me how he does divination. He shows me some of his healing techniques, and I bring, back, I bring stuff back, and I write about 3,000 words. And in the morning, I think I'll go and visit a friend of mine who runs an antique store in the area where he keeps a lot of tribal artifacts. It's Robert, Robert, he says, the following morning. 
I got this. I've held it for you. He shows me an issue of a magazine with a Jaguar on the cover, and the cover story is about Belize. Belize. Mm. <laughs> and he presents me, because he's a very generous man, with a with a with a with an artifact, with a Mayan artifact, uh, a clay a clay uh, a miniature clay mask of a man who's changing into a jaguar or a jaguar mm. who's changing into a man. So I'll tell you this, uh, that might sound a strange or exotic story, although not particularly by my standards. You get into this dreaming, you'll find that synchronicity during the day, dreams of the night, lucid dreams, the yoga of consciousness and that drifty space between sleep and awake all becomes a seamless web. It all works together and well, interweaves. Wonderful. And it's all a path of real magic. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Okay, Robert Moss, it has been a pleasure. Take care. Enjoy your fish day. Thank you. You too. Sweet dreams. All right. So thanks for listening. The Dream Journal is produced at the studios of KSQD in Santa Cruz. We are live every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific at ksqd.org. Podcast released on the Monday after the show. Keeps us growing when you subscribe, rate, and review. I am Catherine Bell. Find out about my dream coaching practice at experientialdreamwork.com. Email me at katherine at ksqd.org, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E at ksqd.org. I'd like to thank Rick Cleffel, uh, Tony Russomano, Eva Milady. The intro music is Water Over Stones. Outro music is Everything by Mood Science. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, take a minute to write down your dream and bring it to the next Dream Journal. So much is all